Happy Wednesday afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPEL 232-1542. If you want to call in, be part of the conversation. Once again, an honor to be with y'all today. Lots to talk about. And I want to start with uh, something that over the last few days has kind of surprised me. And it shouldn't be that big of a surprise, but it's still kind of a surprise. Now, let me explain that a bit. I wrote this morning at Red State uh, and on my Substack, joecunninghamshow.substack.com, I wrote a column about Nor- uh, about New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a toss-up state. That Senate race is a toss-up race. It could very well go toward the Republican Party. If New Hampshire goes toward the Republican Party, chances are you're looking at a 53, if not 54 seat, uh, Republican seat Senate. That's how big the wave would be if New Hampshire gets flipped. And I'm, I, I understand how we got here. Like I said, it's a surprise, and yet it shouldn't be. But we do need to kind of go into why it's happening. There's a poll that dropped yesterday by St. Anselm, which is just one poll, but it's considered like the gold standard of New Hampshire polling. And it has Don Bolduc, the... Uh, Republican challenger to incumbent Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan up by one point, 48 to 47 percent, which is big. Maggie Hassan started October with more than eight points of a lead. And in the last couple weeks in particular, it's absolutely collapsed. If you go to realclearpolitics.com, look at the latest polling or look at their Senate polls or Senate map, you can find New Hampshire, and you can find the trend lines. I've posted it in Red State at Red State as well. Could New Hampshire bring Republicans to 54 Senate seats is the name of the column. You go there, you see it. I've included the trend line chart from Real Clear Politics in there. Trafalgar, which is a firm I've referenced a lot because they've been pretty good nationwide, last polled New Hampshire and had Maggie Hassan up Three. So if the trends relatively hold, you're looking at at least a few points of a drop for Maggie Hassan. But the collapse looks pretty stellar. And really, this is less about the collapse and more about the, uh, the spike for Republicans. I've said this a few times in a few different races But it's very clear that the Democrats have always had a ceiling in their races. And if you look at the long trends of the polling in several of these races, you see that Democrats are mostly flatlined at a certain point. For Maggie Hassan, it's just over 49%, not 50%, but just over 49%. But the Republicans, their floor was in the lower 40s for most of them. And they've jumped by several points 
in their polling averages to where they are narrowing a lot of these races. So if you include New Hampshire, you've got five toss-up races right now. You've got Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and New Hampshire. Most people are recognizing that Georgia and Nevada are going to flip to the Republican Party. You now have estimates that Blake Masters is going to flip Mark Kelly's seat in Arizona. That's going to be due to a combination of things, crime and immigration, but also Carrie Lake is doing such a phenomenal job on the campaign trail, and her opponent for governor, Katie Hobbs, has done such a terrible job that Carrie Lake will help drag Blake, uh, uh, yeah, Blake Masters across the finish line there. There will not be crossover voting in Arizona. Carrie Lake is so emphatic, so charismatic on the campaign trail that she will drag other Republicans across, including Blake Masters. Blake Masters, to his credit, has done a very good job of turning himself around on the campaign trail. He started out as a weak campaigner, but has gotten better. So if you have those three seats flip, you next look at Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania looks very likely that it will flip, but you would need a lot of crossover voting to make that happen. Doug Mastriano has been a terrible candidate in Pennsylvania. Most Republicans throughout the country were looking for somebody else, and instead, because of the influence of people outside of Pennsylvania, including Donald Trump, who supported guys like Doug Mastriano, Mastriano won the primary. And he has never been able to get any motivation. He's never been able to get any outside of, of his core base, which is in the upper 30s in terms of percent of the vote. He hasn't really been able to get a whole lot of traction. He's narrowed the gap a little bit. But that's largely due to Democratic collapse, and they're just not finding motivation to go vote for John Fetterman. But Josh Shapiro, who is Mastriano's opponent for governor in Pennsylvania, has done a pretty good job of campaigning. In order for Mehmet Oz to win, and I think it is very likely that he could win, it's not a certainty, but I think it's more likely than people were willing to give him, including me, were willing to give him a shot at in believing there will be crossover vote. There will be people who look and see that John Fetterman is an absolute clown show of a candidate. So they will vote Republican on that and then vote Democrat down the ticket. I think that's very likely the case for Pennsylvania. But that one is still, it's very hard to determine that one. So let's say that Mehmet Oz hold on to that seat. So now you've got three flips and you've got Oz holding on to a Republican seat. It's an open seat, but a Republican seat in Pennsylvania. 53-47 Republicans. That's the ideal night. For the last week or so, most people have said, I think the Republicans are going to get 52 but now it's looking more and more likely like they'll hit 53. But that brings us to this fifth toss-up race, New Hampshire. And before I get there, let's go ahead and take our break. 
If you want to call in 232-1542 or send a message through the KPL app chat, I will respond to those. We'll be right back here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. So all of that brings us to New Hampshire. Hey, this is the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. I am Joe Cunningham, and I am here trying to explain the lay of the land. We are now six days away from Election Day. By the way, be sure to tune in on election night because me, Brandon and Bernie will be in and we will be guiding you through the election results here in Louisiana, covering the rest of the stuff. Of course, me and my colleagues at redstate.com will be covering a lot of the races nationally. Uh, I will in particular over there be covering the Georgia races because I've been talking about those so much. I've been looking at those. I think that's probably the bellwether of how the nation is going to go. But anyway, New Hampshire, let's talk about New Hampshire. Why is New Hampshire on the brink. Maggie Hassan has always signaled that she is weak in her race. And actually, when she first won that seat, she was, uh, she, that was actually a closer race than people remember. Her race is one where she has to be fairly moderate not she doesn't have to be like super in the middle she doesn't have to be Kirsten Cinema or, or at times what Joe Manchin was but she needed to be democratic enough to keep her base behind her but not too progressive to chase away independents and moderate voters and there have been signs in the last two years that she felt she was weak if you will recall, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin were the faces of resistance to the far-left progressives in the party. Well, as it turns out, and as I kind of told you guys about uh, going back a ways, there were whispers behind the scenes that senators like Maggie Hassan and like uh, Mark Kelly of Arizona we're really happy that those two were out there, one, fighting the far left and keeping the party from moving too far to the left, but two, doing so that they so that they didn't have to. Maggie Hassan, in particular, felt that she was vulnerable, and she stayed out of it. She never really made a very hardcore activist line. She never was super progressive in her public statements. She always stayed democratic, but without being very alienating. And the big reason for that is the fact that Maggie Hassan has always been very worried about her seat. Well, here we are, and the rest of her party is dragging her toward defeat. This is a race where... I'm not convinced Republicans win New Hampshire, but at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. And if Republicans win New Hampshire, that is your 54th seat. 52 is an ideal night for Republicans. 53 is a fantastic night for Republicans. 54 is bloodbath territory. Combine that with a handful of congressional races that the Cook Political Report today moved more Republican, including Sean Patrick Mal uh, Maloney, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee chairperson, 
representative from New York, his seat, his race is now a toss-up. And for the first time in 40 years, it looks like the DCCC leader is in trouble. Now, he's not been the DCCC leader, chairperson, uh, for 40 years, but only one other time in the last 40 years has that position come close to losing. But it's been 40 years since somebody in that position lost their reelection. And it's a sign of how bad things are for Republicans, uh, for Democrats. Now, why are things bad for Republicans? I did it twice in a row. I'm so sorry. Why are things bad for the Democrats? And the answer, quite simply, can be found in the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal has a piece out today that further analyzes a poll that they put out yesterday. It was a poll that showed Hispanic voters and independent white women are breaking to the GOP. They were staying independent, but now they are breaking to the GOP. And here's why. Views of the economy among the group were substantially more negative in the journal's most recent prior survey. In August, 43% thought the economy had entered a recession and 59% said the economy was headed in the wrong direction. That is major. And that was in August. Now we're looking at these women, these independent women, asked who has a better economic plan, 50% of the cohort said Republicans in Congress and 35% said Democrats. On inflation, 55% said Republicans would get it under control and 24% said Democrats. An overwhelming shift there. Tony Fabrizio, a Republican pollster who conducted uh, the Wall Street Journal's poll along with Democratic pollster John Anzalone, said we're talking about a collapse, if you will, in that group on the perceptions of the economy. The movement comes, according to the Wall Street Journal, as several voter groups are giving Republicans a boost in the final stretch before Election Day. White suburban women were a powerful force in the Democrats' sweeping victories in House races in 2018. When the party gained more than 40 seats, many of them in suburban districts, and retook control of the House. Democrats had been optimistic over the summer that abortion would help motivate the group to turn out and back their candidates in November. According to the survey, however, rising prices were the top motivating issue of these voters, with 34% putting that as their number one priority, followed by 28% citing threats to democracy and 16% choosing the Supreme Court overturning Roe. White suburban women trusted Republicans over Democrats to handle the economy and inflation. They also expressed more negative views toward, state, toward the state of the country and President Biden's leadership compared with the previous survey in August. A total of 85% of these voters said they were very motivated to vote, making them among the most motivated groups of those surveyed. If they are the most motivated group and they are breaking toward the Republicans, it's no wonder that New Hampshire is suddenly in trouble. What's more, early voting, which is usually a huge, huge boost to Democrats, 
is it, it doesn't provide any assistance to Maggie Hassan because there is no early voting in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, the only early voting is if you can prove that you absolutely cannot be at the polls on election day. Otherwise, everybody goes out and votes on election day in New Hampshire. That election day turnout benefits Republicans. It has almost always benefited Republicans in swing areas, especially. And highly motivated voters who go out on election day who are not happy with the state of the economy and are not happy with the crime rate and are not happy with these other major issues, they're going to pull the lever for a Republican. And that could be your fourth flipped seat, which would be absolutely devastating for Democrats. Now, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, let's talk about what's happening in Louisiana, not just here, not just this year, but what's coming up down the road. We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Before I move on to Louisiana, one last point to make. A friend of mine... Uh, just tweeted this out. A friend of his sent me the a, a spreadsheet. Uh, a friend of Jeff sent him the spreadsheet of Florida's early vote ballot requests. In 2018, here's the early vote. Republicans overall we're down about 31,600 votes in the early vote in 2018. Early vote, vote by mail. And Ron DeSantis in 2018 narrowly won the governorship in that race. In 2020, the Republican vote was down 125,000 overall. The 2022 early vote, Republicans are up 176,895 votes. That's the gap between Republican turnout in the early vote, between vote, vote by mail provided, I'm sorry, between vote by mail and early voting. 1,426,017 Republican votes in early voting versus 1,249,122 early votes and mail-in ballots for Democrats. What that means is that the Republicans are going to have an absolute Bloodbath. I mean, the Democrats are going to face an absolute bloodbath. The Republicans are going to overperform because Republicans on election day in many places, including Florida, Republicans are overrepresented in the election day vote. Democrats are overrepresented in the early vote. More Democrats take part in early vote and vote by mail than Republicans do. Republicans show up in force more on election day. So if Republicans are up by nearly 200,000 votes as of early voting and mail-in voting, then it's going to be an absolute bloodbath come election day in Florida. In Louisiana, 
We're not a swing state, but we're seeing some similar numbers here. The in-person vote for early voting, uh, 272,199 votes. Absentee voting, 90,734. A total of 362, almost 363,000 early vote and absentee ballots total. Here is the big deal. Only 25, 26% of that vote in Louisiana was black voter. 71% was white voters. The remaining was other, other groups, other race. Republicans. I've, I've gone back and looked as much as I can. I cannot find an instance in Louisiana history where Republicans outperformed Democrats in the early and absentee vote, but they have done so this year. 157,603 Republican votes, early vote, absentee ballot combined, versus the Democrats' 151,095 votes. Never in the history of Louisiana that I've been able to find have Republicans outperformed Democrats in the early vote in Louisiana. What's more, from the last midterm election, the early vote is up by almost 60,000 votes. People are more motivated now than they were in 2018. And what you need to understand is that that's not unique to Louisiana. I just gave you the Florida numbers. In Georgia, similar thing. The black vote is down in early and absentee voting. Republican votes are way up. Solid Republican counties are overperforming or were overperforming in Georgia what solid blue counties were doing in Georgia. Big red flag there. In the polling, independent white women shifting, breaking to the GOP. All the signs are there for a big night for Republicans. And that's good. That is inherently a good thing if you're a Republican. All the signs are there. That is going to be a better night for Republicans than the polling has shown so far. The polling would have you believe there's still, there still some gaps between some of these candidates. The trend lines and the early voting turnout suggest otherwise. Now, full caveat here. The polling has been consistently off and people are trying to fix it. But the trends are showing something is breaking toward the GOP. Second caveat. Early voting is not an indicator of actual election day results, except, except, there are usually some things that hold true. For example, in Louisiana, some things hold true, like Democrats usually outperform, or almost always outperform Republicans in the early vote. Things are different in terms of turnout, in terms of percentages. Remember, we have odd election years. All these sorts of things come into play. But this year's numbers, this election cycle's numbers, are so vastly different that you have to pay attention to that data. Because it's so wildly different from where things were. That's important data to pay attention to. When your data set, even if the data set is never, never the same twice, when it is so vastly different from all of the others, you have to pay attention to that. 
And if it's that way in Louisiana, then it's that way in other places around the country. And we're seeing that in the early vote and the absentee ballot turn-ins. That's a huge deal for Republicans, for Democrats. That's something they all need to pay attention to. A little while ago, poll came out from uh, Susquehanna in Arizona, puts Mehmet Oz plus one. If you factor that into the trend line, Mehmet Oz is only down in the average by less than a point to Fetterman. And if things are breaking the Republicans' way, like I suspect they are, even in a state that has a massive mail-in and early vote period, then that favors Mehmet Oz. Still not comfortable saying I feel absolutely certain that he's going to win, but I'm starting to feel like Mehmet Oz has a really good chance. But there's something that is going to have to come with this. And I want to take an early break here because I want to get into this for the last segment because it stems from a conversation that was had on Acadiana's Morning News this morning. And we need to talk about what happens after this election and how we move on in how we treat each other. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. When we come back, we'll have that conversation right here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the conversation. I didn't mention this on Monday when I wrote the story, and I didn't mention it yesterday, although I've been thinking about it quite a bit. And that is, of course, the deleted Clay Higgins tweet. Uh, In that tweet, he wrote, that moment you realized the nudist hippie male prostitute LSD guy was the reason your husband didn't make it to your fundraiser. And it's a picture of Nancy Pelosi covering her face. And of course, it's a joke that's aimed at mocking Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, who was attacked uh, by a very disturbed individual, David DePape, who we now know did break into the house using the hammer. And we know that Capitol Police have security cameras at Pelosi's house in San Francisco, but no one was watching the camera to see what was happening. That's a new report from NBC News. But Higgins' tweet mocks Nancy Pelosi and her husband at their lowest moment, at a time when somebody had broken into their house and attacked, brutally attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer. And if you were listening to Acadiana's Morning News this morning, there was conversation about it. And I don't want to get too far into what that conversation was, but if you were listening, you know what I'm talking about. And there is, at some point, we do have to have this conversation, not just you and me, and not just, you know, Mark and Jacob and Bernie and Brandon on Winging It Wednesday, and not just, you know, handfuls of us, but we collectively, as a society, have to address this particular behavior. One of the reasons that people liked Donald Trump so much is that he didn't take 
the crap that was thrown at him like other Republicans have just taken it before. And he would fight back and he would be insulting to them as they were insulting to him. And everyone loved it. And there was somebody that commented on the KPL app chat this morning during the conversation about the Higgins tweet saying, uh, you got to take what you give. All's fair. That sort of thing. You need to use the same tactics. And I don't agree with that. I don't think that eye for an eye works. There is a way to stand up against that behavior. Because yes, the Democrats have said some terribly ugly things, and the Democrats have frankly ignored some terrible things that have happened to Republicans. And it's all because of partisan brinkmanship. Let's be honest. Both sides will do this. Republicans are the more high profile because the Democrats and the media are able to highlight it more. But the Democrats are guilty of it as well. One story you may not know is that locally, there was a teacher when Steve Scalise got shot who was caught commenting on the television station's feeds covering the event, saying that he was sorry that Scalise survived. I know about it because friends of mine in national media were reaching out to me because I was a teacher in the parish at the time saying, hey, do you know this person? Hey, what can you tell us about this? I had no clue. But it, it got to national conservative outlets' eyes. But you don't hear about those things. You only hear about the crazies on the right who make those threats or who do things or they try to take these probably nonpartisan lunatics like David DePape and try to turn them into right-wing figures. But the dehumanization of one side to another has got to stop. To mock Nancy Pelosi's husband, as Clay Higgins' tweet did, is completely unacceptable, and we should expect better from somebody who makes their faith an important part of their re-election campaign. We should. We should expect that better behavior. We should expect the people that we elect to represent us to do better. I don't want to elect somebody who's going to be the exact same as a Democrat just voting the Republican way. I want somebody who is better. I want a good, decent, moral person who won't take the stuff that the Democrats throw at them, but also not stoop to their level, because it can be done. You can call them out, you can hold them accountable without stooping to that same level. But this isn't just a politician thing, this isn't just a partisan thing, this is a societal thing. How many shootings, how many crimes, how many threats in our schools have been made because we have lost connection with the actual humanity involved there. We have gone to such lengths to dehumanize the people that we are different from in terms of belief, in terms of ideology, in terms of looks, 
We have gone as far as possible to alienate and dehumanize them. It's one reason I don't like the term illegal alien. I prefer to say illegal immigrant because alien means, or alien, not means, alien has this connotation that they are completely not part of us. And the truth of the matter is, most of them are humans trying to escape a really bad situation back home. And yes, they should go through the legal process, but still, they're not that different from us. They want better for themselves and their families. It's one of the reasons I don't like the tweet that was deleted. And that deleted aspect of the tweet means they know it was wrong. Somebody on the app pointing out, Carrie Lake mocked Pelosi just days ago. Absolutely. And that's terrible. And Carrie Lake should be called out on that. It goes both ways. We should expect better of the people that we choose to represent us. But we should also expect better of each other. We shouldn't be sitting here on the sidelines cheering that behavior on. The politics of trolling should not be what guides us in these political battles. But more importantly, we should be treating each other as human beings with differences. That has to be the route we take if we want to actually fix things in the country. We have a societal problem. We have a problem as a culture. We have a problem that has to be addressed. It has to be done at the political level. It has to be done at the social level. It needs to be done before we get past the point of no return. I don't think we're there yet, but I think we can and should be doing better and expecting better from the people who represent us. And I don't want to hear this whole, well, they've been doing it for so long and they're never called out. So, two wrongs don't make a right. An eye for an eye just leads to blind people. We should be doing better. And if the Republicans take over, what you're going to see are the Democrats double down, doubling down on their attacks against Republicans. And then if the Republicans win the House and or the Senate again, they're going to turn around and the Republicans are going to do, it, are going to do the same thing. And they're going to go back and forth on this, all because we live in an era where people think that this is just the way things are now. And it's not socially or mentally healthy behavior. All right, y'all, 23 hours until we return. In the meantime, Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Sign up for my newsletter and show notes at Joe Cunningham Talk to you guys again real soon right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.